We're continuing where we left off. It is December 22nd, 2019, and we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here is the thought of the week. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. From Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is where God found us. We were not a prize or a good catch for God. The only focus here is what God sees as most important. It does not spend time talking about the things we would like to say about ourselves. It doesn't talk about the degrees attained, race or class in which we happen to be born. It doesn't talk about the family lineage or past accomplishments. While all these things may be important to us, they do not matter to God when it comes to the matter of salvation and our new life. In this state of death, we are only qualified for one thing, grace. In this state, it doesn't matter if you happen to be a Jew or a Gentile. The same condition exists. It, does, it is not a matter of race, culture, or experience. It doesn't matter which religious tradition you were taught. This is the reality between you and God. There is only one answer to this state, and we will clearly see God's answer later. For now, we must accept the stark reality of God's view of us. I like God's approach here. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He says what he means in the very first sentence. Suppose you went to the doctor for a test, and the results are finally in. You are sitting there on the examining table, and your full attention is on every word the doctor says. If the prognosis was that you would die in three days, you would want to know that, wouldn't you? When it comes to our hopeless condition before God, it is certainly bad news. Our condition is hopeless because we don't have the ability to fix it. However, God has an answer. It is called the good news. And that is the thought of the week. And let me just offer up a simple commentary on that. That really the only cure for death is life. And the only one who can give life is God. This is not to say that it isn't up to us to believe. God is not saving only certain people because that's his choice. He offers salvation by grace to all. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, he wants all people to be saved and all people to come to the full and accurate knowledge of the truth. One thing at a time, however, you have a choice. Though you are dead and cannot save yourself, you can receive this salvation by grace. And it is through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's your choice. I would encourage you with all my heart to believe. Put your trust in the one who saves your soul. And that's my commentary. And now we'll turn it over to Dave for a prayer. Thanks, Hawaii. So anyone have any special prayer requests that they might have on their hearts? Yeah, I've got a... Pray for me and my family. So I've got a special one. Just pray for um, a young woman named Victoria who... Um, I'm not sure of her situation, but it, it, uh, it sounded like she could use some help, and I'm not sure where she's at spiritually. Also pray for um, uh, un unsaved members of my family. Thanks. Okay. Let's take it to the thought of grace through prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, we're here, Lord, on this Sunday evening. Lord, looking over or at you, Lord, recognizing that this season of, of holiday season, Father, of people are rejoicing for Christmas, Father, we ask you to protect them, Lord, and wherever they, wherever they may be, Father, that you, you will look over them. Father, we have requests for Bill Myers' family, our church, and also special requests for the white, for he has a respectful Request for the people that he have on his body and his heart. Where should Lord look over a pastor and watch over him and his family as they go through the season?
He's the father and myself, father as my family. Father, we ask you that we could take your word and, and, and grow in grace with this, Lord. So we ask you, Father, to watch over us and your word, Father, as we continue to grow steadfastly to the message that we are given today. We ask you things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Amen. David. Amen. We were continuing with uh, where we left off, and last week we are at John chapter 14 and verse 8, and which says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So we were going to look at that verse. Um, short verse, but uh, I, I think there's a lot in there. We want to take our time. And uh, you have your notes. Hopefully you can follow along with me. We must realize how much we depend on the Holy Spirit to teach us what we otherwise could never know. The provision of God is the person of the Spirit who is always at work even when we don't realize it. The work of the Spirit often goes unnoticed. But trust God, He is always at work. If, I, if left to our own senses of perception, we would simply be blind. We would be ignorant of God and all the spiritual realities all around us. Without the Spirit, no one could be saved or come to the knowledge of the truth. No one could fulfill the purpose for their calling. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that, God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That's 1 Corinthians 2.12. So the worst we can do while we are here is to resist the Spirit's work in our lives. If we resist the Spirit's teaching and enlightening ministry, we will remain in the dark, groping to understand and trapped in religious, uh, I'm sorry, entrapped in religion. Quote, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 7 and 51. So we have um, just an introduction to Philip's question. And keep in mind, Philip's question was, show us the Father. After Jesus said, uh, not only do you have you seen the Father, but you also know him. Philip reacted to that question, or to that answer, and uh, this is the question that he poses to Jesus. Show us the Father. This opens up a lot for us. We'll take our time and go through it. So we got a couple points, only two, and some sub points here. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. I imagine the question from Philip is also the same question the other disciples had. And I turn to John chapter 3 for this. But I also think that this is part of how we respond when we hear the testimony of God probably for the first time. Most of us don't just automatically believe what God says. It takes a little time. And this is what I think happened to the disciples there. They heard, but they didn't either understand or ultimately they didn't believe. So John 3, Nicodemus says this question, and it reminds me pretty much what happened to Philip. Jesus said, from now on, you have seen the Father and you know the Father. So it's almost like... Philip's answer was, well, how can this be? That's exactly what Nicodemus said when Jesus began to unfold spiritual information to him. His response was, how can this 
be. How? I don't under, I, not only do I not understand what you're saying, I certainly don't believe it. So this is Jesus' response to Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? So it was almost like he said, Philip, you're asking these questions. Listen, you know him and you have seen him. Just mark it down. I'm telling you this. It's a very similar response. Very truly, this is John 3.11. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, listen to the response. You people do not accept our testimony. If I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So I, <clears throat> I just raise this for our context because it's important for us to know how we respond to God and his word. Uh, Jesus was telling them things that were solid. They were questioning those things. For them, it was, uh, how can this be? I don't know. What do you mean? Uh, it didn't fit into their theology, as I've said before. So point B, I'm going to move on. There is no stupid question. If it is a legitimate quest for knowledge. That is, if it is. People can ask questions willy-nilly and then it just it becomes a waste of energy. But um, Or like the little kids who say why, why, why to everything you say. Well, because it's this. Why? Because I said so. But why? No matter what you say, it could, you could ask the question, but why? And uh, so, but if there's a, legit, a legitimate quest for knowledge, we should ask the question. And believe me, how many times? And you won't know this answer. Have you asked a question and received an answer? And others were afraid to ask, or the answer benefited others. So there is no stupid question. It goes far beyond even your understanding of the question and answer. It just is a question or a quest to reveal more detail. And even if somebody just taught something, like Jesus just taught something, this is... For now on, you know him and you have seen him. Philip says, okay, show us the Father. How does this work? I don't understand. And I don't believe it, but it's what he's saying is, I need more detail. So what happens? We get more detail in the context, which is rich. I mean, to say, on the one hand, you know, Jesus taught them, uh, it's interesting that he is able to field questions and those questions reveal even more detail than Jesus probably would have given. We don't know, but I mean, his whole next four verses in answer to Philip is around his question. So we get that back and forth. Sometimes that's what we need. And I've been in a lot of churches uh, early on where you don't have that back and forth. You, don't, you can't question them. But the disciples, imagine that. They were able to question Jesus. I said, well, Jesus, I heard you teaching that, but, you know, I don't quite understand where you're coming from. Can you elaborate? That's, and Jesus does elaborate. And then we sit back and listen to that we have the opportunity of benefiting from the answers to, to what was asked. And not only that, I mean, we're, we're sitting here pondering over it. There are many commentaries written on it. You can think about it from the context of how we develop this. Whereas the disciples were not privy to all the information we had. So there's no stupid question. Look at John 3, 4. We all start out 
as ignorant of spiritual realities. Now, don't think there is some innate um, thing or, you know, unction that you have that helps you understand spiritual things beyond what others do. Your reaction to the thoughts of God are just like, just like Isaiah says, they're not your thoughts. So John 3, 4 said, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. So Nicodemus took what Jesus was saying and said, born again, I don't understand how that can possibly be. As far as I understand what that means, you're saying that a person would have to go back into their mother's womb uh, a second time and be born, come out again. So Nicodemus's mind was being born is coming out of the mother's womb. So you'd have to go back in your mother's womb a second time and come out again, which is absurd. It's, there's no way. Nicodemus knows there's no way, but notice this, this person, this religious person has no spiritual insight at all. He asks the question, how can this be? And he even plays out what's in his mind. Well, what do you mean? I have to actually go in? No, he, he has no spiritual insight at all. So I say this is natural for us because if somebody comes to us and says a spiritual reality to, to us, all we can think about is how does it make sense according to what we know? But Jesus goes into teaching. And again, we get the reasoning back and forth. And we stand to benefit from that. So did Nicodemus, obviously. Point C. Let's keep going. Essentially, Philip said, we have seen him and know him. And how can this be, right? He's, he's, answer, he's answering this question we have seen him and know him show us the father reveal him to us so that we can know him since we have seen him right so jesus is saying you have seen him for the record you have seen him and you do know him philip is saying okay uh, we have seen him and know him show us the father then right reveal him because obviously i don't see him I don't. I don't know what you mean or how you how you mean, but I do know one thing. I don't see him, so show us. Since we have not seen him. You're saying we have. I don't see him around. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so basically, well, that's what he's saying. Let us see the Father. So I'm turning to Matthew 13 here. And it says... Jesus says, this is why we speak to them in parables. <laughs> Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So they don't see, even though they have eyes. This is not that joke. What has eyes but cannot see? Right? This, is not, this is a spiritual matter. You have eyes, but you can't see the spiritual reality of what is being said. And the spiritual reality ultimately is the real uh, thing that's happening. Right? So you, you may look at the physical as the real thing that's happening. The spiritual reality comes from God who created all of the physical realities. So more important, the spiritual reality is what really is and what really is not. To get us to see that, to, to take our eyes off of the physical, we have to become spiritual. As Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. And there is levels of knowledge that are hidden from most of the people in this world. And if you enter into this new relationship with God, your eyes are opened to that. But Jesus, if he spoke of spiritual things all the time, people would think he was crazy. He would, they would think, this guy is not, his feet are not even on the ground. I don't know what he's talking about, but it has nothing to do with anything related to what is real. 
Well, Jesus said, okay, that is why I speak to them in parables. Seeing they do not see. Because what will since they don't see, what will they do? They will make up stuff. They will talk about them. They will speak, twist his words. They, they will misunderstand what he's saying. He, he's not communicating to them. And hearing, even though they heard what he said, they do not hear or understand. So hearing is not just, I heard you. It's more about understanding. You only hear to get to understanding. You don't just hear to say you heard. You hear to, to get to the place where you understand. And obviously there is a barrier that stops people from understanding. And Jesus dealt with, and he, when he was here on earth, he walked and talked to a lot of people. So I would impress upon all of you that as you go out and talk to people, remember, you are talking about spiritual realities in most cases. And you have to be careful to stick to things. Meet people where they are. Stick to things where they will understand what you're talking about. And now we do know that the Holy Spirit is available when it comes to the gospel, to witness to the hearts of unbelievers, right? No, the, the thing that's on his mind is to not tell them about abortion and this one or that particular doctrine or something. It is about the gospel, how they can become saved. And once their eyes are open, then the Holy Spirit takes up the, the job of teaching them for their entire lives. So... They don't see. That's legitimate. <clears throat> I know we are frustrated at times because we fight against that. We're like, what do you mean you can't see it? It's right here. Don't you see it? Don't you get it? It's, I, I, it's right in your face. Don't you see it? And, it? and they're like, no, I don't see it. And they cling to their position. And we are just walk away. We walk away astounded that, wow. We need to make sure we understand the spiritual dynamics that are in play here. Sometimes they see, they hear, but they do not understand. That is the truth. So we have linked that whole thing to intelligence, or they're just not smart, some people will say. They're just not, they're not the sharpest tool in the shed. We've told them these things a hundred times. I don't understand why it is they keep going back to uh, what they always knew or something. Because they don't see it. It is a spiritual blindness. And as I quoted in the opening, uh, just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is trying to make God's reality true to them. But they resist it. And people have that option. Some people will resist the Holy Spirit. And others will not. So, point D, we're moving forward. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. But considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 It's just a scripture there. But I wanted to bring out this one aspect of the scripture which we covered when we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that is that the person without the Spirit is not the Holy Spirit in general. Because remember, the disciples, uh, they had a theology. They knew certain things were supposed to happen, and they understood eschatology. But when it comes to uh, this, this point of fact is that the Pente when Pentecost came, there was a new direction. There were new spiritual realities that were unveiled, and people did not know. Right? They, they were new to people. Jesus introduced them, many of them, and as we're reading here in John. And, and 
a lot of it, he knew they would not be able to understand, which is why he would say, uh, when the Spirit comes, you will remember what I told you. And when the Spirit comes, he will do this and he will do that. And he's the Spirit of Truth, which is his name. So this, it's, it's a very common understanding. When it says the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, he's talking here in context in 1 Corinthians 2 about these things that were revealed at Pentecost. He considers them foolishness, right? It's foolishness to turn away from the Mosaic Law. and We got these all these dynamics of spirituality that have been revealed in the church age and so forth. And he cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Right? If you don't accept the Spirit teaching in this area, you will not believe. You will not believe that Jesus um, came and established the church. He says, on this rock I will build my church. And that the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. That the church in, in Christ, there is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free. We're all one in Christ. In Christ, we are baptized into one body. And we are new spiritual creations. And I could go on with more and more things that are unique to this age. Um, yet, this is the truth of it right here. They're only discerned through the Spirit. And if you don't, if you reject Pentecost, you will never get to what God is saying in the in this First Corinthians chapter about the, the deep things of God. The Spirit reveals them, and, and He freely gives them to us. And these are the, the this is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. This is what people need the Spirit to interpret for them. Without it, they will look at it as foolishness. So I just brought that just to note there is a barrier, even to people who were saved in the first century here. They had believed in Christ. They understood that Jesus was the Christ, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. But then they refused to go forward and follow God through uh, his establishing of all of the things we just talked about. They refused to accept that that is the way, even though God demonstrated it through signs, wonders, and various miracles given by the Holy Spirit. They refused. So it's important for us to make sure we follow along with God the Holy Spirit right? and not be afraid to accept uh, things that are new and, and, and things that may not d agree with what is in what we hold as the truth. So let's continue. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that, point number two is, and that will be enough for us. So the first thought is, we do not know and see the Father. Show us. So we can see, and that will satisfy us, right? So uh, if they, it was when I said there was no stupid question, this is legitimate search for knowledge, for wisdom. So he says that will satisfy us. In other words, you said we see him. You said we know him. We don't. We're sitting here, we still have question marks over our heads. So... If you if you answer these these questions, if you then we'll be satisfied, right? That will give us enough information about what you're saying, so we can now see eye to eye with you, and we can see the Father. So point B: Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So this is. Colossians 1.15, that's what it says. He is the image of the invisible God. So, unless they had eyes to see the invisible, or the spiritual reality, they cannot see and be satisfied, because God the Father is invisible. So they're saying, you have seen him and you know him. Well, how are we going to see somebody who is invisible? 
there has to be other means by which we see him. And that is by means of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit reveals. But of course, as long as he reveals information to us, as long as we don't reject it or resist him. He may try to tell us something, but we may resist the thought of what he's trying to tell us, which is the story of what the Jews did in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. They resisted the Holy Spirit. It became a tradition of resistance for the Jews. So in this sense, we know that when Jesus is saying, you have seen the Father, we know he's not talking about physically seeing the Father. Because he says, you and you have seen him. I mean, it's not like the Father had been walking around with Jesus and the disciples, and then the Father left, and Jesus said, what do you mean, show the Father? The Father's been with us. You've seen him. You know him. Right? He's not saying that. Because the Father is invisible. And what we're going to talk about for the next four verses is Jesus pleading with them to understand this information. And it's even more than the next four verses, but those next four verses exemplify what I mean when I say Jesus is pleading and reasoning with them to understand his relationship with the Father and how they see him and know him. So he's invisible. So the question I have in the second point here is how, unless they had eyes to see the invisible or the spiritual reality, they cannot see and they certainly cannot be satisfied. So what they're looking for is the physical to be satisfied. Jesus is hoping and trying to help them understand the spiritual reality. Point C. If we see the spiritual reality, it doesn't, if, if we see the spiritual reality, it doesn't satisfy us. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It does satisfy us. Why do I say this, say it this way? If we see the spiritual reality, it does satisfy us. Now, of course, that means we haven't, we, we have uh, accepted, we have humility, so we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. We trust what he says and how he's the spirit of truth and he's giving us truth and leading and guiding us into all truth. So if we see the spirit, if we do, then it really does satisfy. Uh, we can see the reality. Light is a good metaphor here. Your word is a lamp to, for my feet, a light to my path. Right? So when I say it does, let's stop at the point here where I say it does satisfy us because everything that was created physically came from the spiritual. Christ created all things, but he did not have a physical body when he did that. He's a real person, but he's a spiritual being. He, Yes, he, came, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But the spiritual life of Christ is what we're after. Not so much uh, something exceptional because of his physical presence, but we're after the spiritual reality, who he was and what he has to say to us as one who comes from heaven. So when we think about it, that whole thing about the spiritual reality it does satisfy us. It's like we see down to the bottom of things when we see it from the spiritual perspective. And I can use another analogy. I use light as a way of looking at it. But one way is look at salvation. For those of us who see salvation, obviously, when you get it from the grace perspective and the understanding of what God did and, and make sure we receive it the way he is uh, telling us that salvation must be. And then we understand why. It just opens our eyes to who God is and what he does and how he has administered it and 
So if we understand it from the spiritual reality, where the Holy Spirit enlightens us, we get it from the bottom up. We really do see what the deal is, as a way of speaking. We can understand the reality of it all. And when you get that point, when you finally understand the reality from the spiritual perspective, it does satisfy you. It does. So you can truly see. Uh, so light is a good metaphor, as I said here. And the scripture in Psalm 119, 105 is, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So there's a metaphor of light and how the word... So, so when we talk about seeing and the spiritual reality, it's like the light's turned on. Right? When the light turns on, it dispels darkness. And darkness uh, is what we are in when we are only looking at the physical reality. But when the lights come on, we see what really is. And I mean, that's what I meant. It satisfies us. We can tell what really isn't. Suppose you were in the room and you were stumbling around because it was dark and you could feel certain things. You could say, oh, this is a chair. Uh, this is a bookcase. Uh, this is a desk. Right? You could feel certain things, but you can't quite make out because it's dark. But then, if the light comes on, then you see everything. And you realize, oh, I was tripping over that. Why didn't I move? Right? And, and this, oh, this has this many shelves, and I see why it has all that and, and where it is. And, and then you see where everything is. Clearly, that's what satisfies us completely. The word satisfies us. It tells us what really is. Satan, on the other hand, is called the deceiver. He's attempting to distort God's word, to twist it so that, even, oh, God said this? Well, that's not what it is. You should not surely die. Or this is not the way it is. So his reality is different. Right? He, he wants to focus on what we can see. He says, well, it's right in front of you. Can't you see it? Right? Satan seeks to deceive us and to lead us away from the reality of God or truth. So that's why the word is a good indication. Let's look of, of an analogy of how the word enlightens us. And the Holy Spirit uses the word um, of truth. So John 9 and 5 says, While I, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I like what Jesus says here. I am the light of the world. And using that metaphor again, there is a truth about Jesus. Not everybody will see it because some people will resist the Spirit's influence to get them to see who Jesus is. But when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, for people who, who see me, I am the light of the world. So you need to be following Jesus, listening to his words, not, if he says it, you got to trust him. And it is one thing to hear and understand. It's another thing to trust in what Jesus is saying. So when you see light, light, People use, let's say if they're going through a cave or they're going through some place where it's very dark, they take a light with them. And today, everybody has a light on their phone. It's almost like a flashlight is a necessity for everybody. You know you have a flashlight. You can turn that on if there's darkness. Well, just imagine you couldn't do that in the ancient world. You had to light a torch or something so that it would light the way. But that light is that metaphor Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. If you see me, you will not walk in darkness anymore. You will not stumble around. John 11. Let's go to John 11. And this is uh, verses 5 through 14. And this is the story of uh, Lazarus being sick. So 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had Laz so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was 
two more days. Two more days. So Lazarus is sick. Jesus is Lazarus' friend. Jesus has been healing people all around the region. Everywhere he went, he healed people. People would come to him with all kinds of diseases and things. Jesus would heal them. Uh, and so, but now his friend is sick. And what will he do? So he heard he was sick. He stays there two more days. And then the disciples said, let's go back to Judea. This is where Lazarus was. Um, but Rabbi, uh, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews that, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Let me, let me start all over again here. He stayed two more days, and then he, Jesus said to the disciples, after these two days had gone, let's go back to Judea. So he, 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 he mentions that, but then they say to him, the disciples, um, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and you want to go back now? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when the person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So this is, so what is this to say? The disciples see only the physical reality. That's it. Jesus thinks, I mean, his, they hear that Lazarus is sick. They're puzzled that Jesus you know, what his reaction, he stays there two more days. So then he says, okay, now, after two days are over, let's go back to Judea, right? So let's, well, wait a minute. This, we, we just escaped our lives here, right? We got out of, they wanted to stone you for some of the things you said. You want to go back there? So obviously, Jesus is operating by means of the Spirit. He sees the full reality of what, the disciples don't. So he draws this analogy. And this is it. He says, if you're walking around in the world at the daytime, well, obviously you don't stumble. Because you can see, because the world has light, right? The sun. But when a person walks at night, they stumble. They don't have any light. Right? So he's saying the disciples um, did not truly see the reasoning of Jesus. And he makes this point. Now, of course, you think they understood this? No. But did they understand it on the surface? Yeah, they understand that in the daytime you could see, in the nighttime you can't. But what he was trying to tell them is, I see something here that you don't see. So, Jesus answered, uh, or, or verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, 11, and after he had said this, he went on to tell them, and listen to this, uh, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better, meaning he'll wake up. And John it's very clear to tell us exactly what was going on here. Jesus had been speaking about his death or of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Uh, so, of course, Thomas said something that was way, way, again, off, not understanding, but Jesus doesn't respond to that. They just take off walking. But in this sense, a case rather, yeah, they missed it. Jesus had to tell them plainly. So I would imagine they were truly not understanding. The, the whole walk, however long it was, they were walking behind Jesus, but they had no clue of what was going on. I just brought this out, just one point, just to say that the spiritual reality opens up new vistas, new insights to what is really happening. Unless we have that, 
we are literally blind. We are literally walking in darkness. People can say spiritual things to us. We will not comprehend them. We will not understand them. And we will not trust them. So that's important to know that uh, there is a truth that is sort of overlaying what you see. Don't just walk around in the world trusting and believing and, you know, thinking about the physical. There is something that is above that, that is truly real. And if we were to accept, it is satisfying as well. We can see truly how the physical operates. Let's continue on. And then we're almost done here. Point D. If you cannot see spiritually, you will never be satisfied or know the truth. You can't see spiritually. And that's what we all are striving. That's why we're here this morning. So that when we see or when we walk in this world, we are walking by faith and not by sight. Imagine that. Faith or the spiritual reality, believing the spiritual reality, is more than your physical sight. So when you have your physical sight and ears, people think that that is the reality. I've seen it for myself. Seeing is believing. And if I've seen it, then that's enough for me. Well, there's more to it. You can be, you can be deceived if you don't accept the spiritual reality. And so if you know the truth, there is, there's a whole lot more to it than just what you see. So our, we, the way we conduct our lives, the way we walk, is not by sight, but it is by trusting in that spiritual reality. Point E. And we are the kind of people who do that, right? Believers. That's what we are said to be. Believers of what? Believers of Christ and the spiritual reality. The light of the world. Point E. What will be enough for them will be when the Spirit makes this real to them. And this is John. I'm turning to John again. 14, 25, and 26. <clears throat> this, this is when it will be enough for them. Uh, 24 says, uh, 25 says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But, when, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So again, the, the important part here is to note that Jesus understood that, yeah, maybe they can't fully grasp what I am telling them now because it's new theology. It's different from the theology that they imagined or learned in the Old Testament. It's not to say it's wrong. It's just that God took a different turn here. He released information that was not previously known in the Old Testament. So unless we change directions and see the reality of it, we will be in the dark too, just like the disciples. How can this be? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Where's the Father? Show us the Father. Right? We'll be in the same boat as the disciples, but not so. We are, we are not people who follow only the physical. So once we get it, it's enough. So, so when the Pentecost came and the disciples did get the ministry of the Spirit, all of it came full circle to them. They're like, ah, oh, so now this is what it's all about. Now I get it now. I get what I'm hoping that we can connect the dots as well as we're looking back on all of their experiences. So it's important for us to see, to have enough humility to allow God to open up our eyes so that we can see. Point F, for you, is just a scripture here, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light, of the light, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
notice. There's something that's beyond what you can see. But notice, we were once darkness. And notice the contrast. This is true of us. But we are now light in the Lord. So conduct yourselves. Or this is like that scripture that says, walk by faith and not by sight. Live as children of light. That's what we are, children of light. We are not here to walk in darkness. We've, that's what we were. That's where we came from. Now we're children of light and we ought to live our lives in accordance with goodness, righteousness, and truth. So Philip asks a question that we are going to benefit from the answers in the next four verses. We'll continue next week with Jesus' answer to Philip's question, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're pleased to look over the verses that reveal you you and the plan that uh, is conceived for us in eternity past, before time began. We thank you for choosing us then so that now we could be in Christ as part of the new creation, part of those sons that are brought into glory. We thank you for the privilege, the honor that is ours to be in this particular age and in your Son. And we pray that uh, we will continue to work through how this relationship works and what you have done for us, what the properties of our relationship are as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.